Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. I'm your host, Kim Peek. I am a runner, triathlete, fitness enthusiast, a dog mom, a theater mom, positive thinker, breast cancer survivor, and coach. You can find me online on social media at Power of Run, and you can find more information about my coaching and courses at www.crushingmygoals.com. I talked with Lindsay Smith for this episode. Lindsay is known as the Food Mood Girl. She's a nationally recognized author, health coach, dynamic speaker, and wellness icon devoted to helping everyone live a more vibrant life through self-love and guilt-free living. I loved my conversation with Lindsay. I think her approach is so refreshing. Rather than having lists of foods that we can and can't eat or beating ourselves up for the food choices that we have made, Lindsay helps people take a look at what they are eating and helps us understand the reasons we might be choosing those foods. Her new book is called Eat Your Feelings, The Food Mood Girl's Guide to Transforming Your Emotional Eating. Lindsay believes in a holistic approach to health and that a well-balanced life includes eating your veggies and occasionally indulging in that double chocolate brownie. I'm so excited about what we talked about, and I am sure that you will find Lindsay's insight refreshing as well. So here we go. Welcome, Lindsay, to the show. Lindsay has a great new book that's out, and I just think that the colors and the graphics on your book are so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it was definitely a labor of love. I did not illustrate them uh, myself, so people always ask that. This woman, uh, Kate Reingold out of Seattle, did all of the illustrations, but more than that, she just totally got the project and my personality, so... It definitely reflects that. It just is so fun and it makes you want to dig into the book and really understand what it is, what your message is. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea behind the book. Um, you say that rather than ignoring our food cravings, we need to own them and listen to them and use them as an opportunity to explore what our body is asking for. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that connection between what we crave and what our, our body might be telling us? Yeah, so I think it's twofold. You know, a big part of what I do is not only the food you eat and how it impacts your mood, but then the mood and how that dictates your food choices or like what you go after or what you crave. And so I think that oftentimes we look at cravings as a really bad thing. Um, Even just if you think of marketing in grocery stores, you know, it's always like, oh, indulge in this or, you know, Mm -hmm. give in to your craving. Um, and it kind of makes us feel like, oh, if I'm craving this thing, it's a really bad thing and I'm a horrible person. You know, we just kind of, we go down that rabbit hole of thinking. And so what I found though, is that our cravings can tell us so much about our bodies, what they need, um, what, what, what they're lacking. Maybe, you know, it could be something that they're lacking. So I break down different ways. For example, um, a good example of this is if you're craving, uh, you know, if you're craving pizza and cookies or something like that, and you're maybe you're feeling sad and you want pizza and cookies, is it the pizza and cookies that you want? Or is your body actually looking for something like serotonin, which can be found in those pizza 
and cookies, but it'll be found very quickly. Like you'll get a quick fix, but it won't help sustain you long term. Whereas something like um, almonds or avocados or something like that can actually give you that serotonin boost, but create it a little bit, you know, create that serotonin boost and that will last longer. Um, So it could be something physical like that, but then it can also be emotional. You know, if we are, um, if we're sad, you know, you can eat as much kale in the world, but that's not going to fix the fact that, you know, someone you love passed away or, you know, like that's not going to change that. So in that case, you have to deal with the emotional. And so I think it's, um, you know, I break down some different ways in the book and I give different charts of like how you're feeling and what you may be needing, but really ultimately you are the, uh, best expert for your own body. And so you can take that information and then use it in your day-to-day life to figure out, Oh, I'm feeling this way. This makes me feel good. This makes me feel tired. Um, maybe I need more of this or, Hey, yeah, I am feeling sad. And guess what? It's okay to feel sad. Let me just feel sad for a little bit. And then, you know, I can move on from that. I think that, I think this is all fascinating and such a, a, a fresh and just refreshing approach to learning how to fuel, fuel our bodies and not look at foods as being good foods or bad foods, but taking it another step further and kind of what is it that I'm supposed to be figuring out from this? Mm -hmm. So you came about this kind of a while ago. You were, you had anxiety as a teen, right? Yeah. As a preteen, I was diagnosed when I was 12. Okay. And so then can you tell us a little bit about how from your struggles with anxiety, it led you to what you're doing right now with this area of food? Yeah. So I, I joke that I've been doing this more than half my life because I truly, (laughs) I truly have. Um, when I was a kid, I, in like fourth grade, I would say it's, you know, I think fourth grade is that definitely that awkward stage for kids with their bodies, like with growing and everything. And I, I just felt so insecure in my body and the way, um, And even just in compared to my classmates, I had a lot of, you know, comparison syndrome and I was a super perfectionist and I started struggling with at the time, I didn't know at the time it was anxiety, but you know, in hindsight and everything, it was anxiety where I was having, um, just like the feelings of uneasiness and, um, you know, even like acid reflux or my stomach would hurt. And by fifth grade, I actually had my first panic attack and that kept going on for, but I didn't know it was a panic attack. I just thought I was sick because I would, you know, feel upset my stomach and then I would have to go into the bathroom and throw up. And so this was happening as a kid. And then finally I was, eventually I was hospitalized and they thought, you know, at first that I was dehydrated, that maybe I had, you know, some sort of sickness Um, but they couldn't really find anything. And then after a time it, you know, they found out that it was more the anxiety that was inducing all of these things. And so at the time, even though I was, you know, 12, I guess, in like fifth grade, I was very intuitive and I just was, you know, I thought to myself, I don't want to feel like this. I want to feel normal. I want to feel like my peers do, you know, and I don't, I want to be able to do the same things that they're doing 
And I thought about going to middle school the next year and it was a new environment. And I was like, how, if I can't even handle this, how am I going to handle that? And so I thought these things. And at the time, my sister, she's eight years older than me. She started going to a wellness center in our hometown and she had similar issues that I did with body image and anxiety. And, um, I saw this complete shift in her. She went from being, you know, feeling, um, the same ways that I did to being super confident and she felt good about herself and she just had this glow about her. And so I asked my parents, I said, Hey, could I try that? You know, could I try what she's doing? And thankfully, you know, my parents agreed. And so, yeah, when I was a kid, I started going to a wellness center and we focused on a mind, body, spirit approach to, uh, to healing. And one of the first things that we did was changed food, but not in a restrictive way, not in a oh, this food's good, this food's bad. My mentor simply said to me, um, let's put more color on your plate and see how you feel. And, you know, and so it became kind of a fun challenge to put colors on my plate. And then by the time I was in sixth grade, my mom was taking me to the grocery store. I was shopping for myself and then making my own meals, you know, for lunch and, and things like that. And again, none of it came from a place of restriction, but it came from a place of, let's see how this feels in your body. Let's see how you feel mentally, physically by just doing this. And so, um, at that very young age, this concept of food and mood became very clear to me. Wow. And so when you were first starting, starting this as a preteen teenager, were you able, how long did it take you so that you could see how those foods were affecting you? Did it take, was it immediate or what did it take weeks or months? I think, uh, I think within six months, my anxiety and symptoms were almost gone. Um, I just, and I became more confident, but it was not just the food. It was the mental, you know, things that I was doing as well, as far as learning to appreciate myself, learning to appreciate my body for what it does, being more confident in who I was as a person and not comparing myself to my peers all the time, understanding that, um, you know, it's no one's perfect. And, you know, I, I was never going to be, but I could be the best version of myself. So those things play a role into that as well. Um, I think the interesting thing is the more that I get into this, you know, the more I truly understand the impact of, of food and mood in that way, because I think it, to me, I say it's a lifelong journey. The food that I'm eating now is not the same food that I was eating a year ago or two years ago, or 10 years ago. Like it's evolved and changed and it's strictly based on how I'm feeling, you know, and, and the way your body changes, like something interesting to me. And I think about this all the time, um, is that our, our taste buds change every six months. Um, and oftentimes when we are allergic to things, it, it may be, sometimes it could be, you know, deadly, you know, and it's within our, our DNA, but sometimes it's because our body has had too much of it. Like we'll develop, you know, an allergy to something over time. And usually it's from something, usually it's something that we like, you know, it's something that we have ate a lot and we like. And oftentimes it's because it's, our bodies are so smart. It's a way of being like, oh, I need a break from this, you know, like Mm. too much, I'm getting too much from this, even if it's a healthy thing. And so I think about that a lot because I remember when I was first into nutrition after college and knew that I wanted to do this, you know, as a career, 
I um I was on like everyone. You go on that hummus kick. Have you been on the hummus kick? I love hummus. It's so funny. My 13-year-old just said to me today, would you please buy some hummus? I need some hummus. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's like this thing where when I, like, I love hummus too. And I was all about it. And that's literally all I want. Like, I remember just coming back, you know, from, um, my old job whenever, uh, I just got out of college and I would just buy a container. And sometimes that would be my dinner just because I was just like, Oh, I can't get enough. It's so good. I have done that too. Yes. (laughs) Um, and then I was eating it like every day with different things. And then one day I kid you not, I just, I was, I remember I'm like, I had a thing of, I had a container and I just remember thinking that disgusts me. Like, I don't want to eat that anymore. And it wasn't that I didn't like it anymore, but I just think it was my body's way of being like, you've had enough, like you need nutrients from something else, you know? Hmm. And so I really like that philosophy and being so open to changing with your body because your body's always changing. Mm -hmm. I think that so many times, myself included, you can get into this dogmatic way of thinking that, oh, well, you know, everyone's going vegan right now, so I have to do that, or everyone's keto right now, so I have to do that, or whatever it is. And I think you can learn from those things 100%, and I think that there's truth to those as well. But ultimately, I think it comes down to once you understand your body, you start listening to that rather than everything else because you'll know what you need. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to go back to something you said a a minute ago when you were talking about when you first started this, because I know a lot of parents are listening that have younger kids, maybe they're busy packing lunches for summer camps right now. And, you know, they want their kids to eat something that's more nutritious. So as you started adding those more colorful foods onto your plate, did you just automatically stop eating so much of the processed foods or was it a gradual thing or how, how did you get to the point where your body wanted the healthy stuff and it wasn't like, Oh, I need to go grab that bag of chips. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was a gradual process um, because you're essentially, I hate to use the word detox, but that's kind of what may be happening for a lot of people. If they're used to eating one certain way, you can't just go from, you know, nachos and cheese, you know, to kale chips and collard greens <laughs> in, in a day, you know, that's right. just not sustainable. Um, I think for me, I think it was definitely a gradual thing. And I, I think the important thing to remember is, um, is what we learned in nutrition school, which is called crowding out. Yeah. And so, you know, the more that you can incorporate the healthy things, the less junk you you actually want, but to not look at it like, well, if I have that, you know, that candy bar that I'm a bad person or, you know, I'm, oh, I just failed completely. It's like, no, if you're including more of the healthy things and fruits and vegetables, then yeah, go get, you can have the ice cream, you can do those things, but eventually you'll want less of that, you know, but when you're starting, you may want you may still have those cravings and you can't beat yourself up over that because it's, you know, you have to look at it as a lifelong journey. And I, and I love that you focus on that, you know, thinking about, don't think about being a failure, take a look at, you know, what is your body telling you? What, what does either what nutrients is your body asking for or 
what emotion is associated with that. Can you talk a little bit about, about that aspect? Yeah. So the best way that I can talk about this would be through a story um, to kind of paint the whole picture. And one of the, um, my dog just joined us just after snuggling up. She's listening. Your dog has a really, your dog has a really cute name. What's your dog's name? Uh, her name's Winnie Cooper. After I the love morning. that. So cute. Um, cause she's just like Winnie Cooper. It's insane. Uh, like the character she's so like, sh- she's so funny. She's <laughs> just reminds me of her. Um, so one of the, you know, a couple years ago, this was in like 2015, I got this really intense craving for a grilled cheese and I'm not talking like you know, a healthy grilled cheese that maybe has, you know, like avocado on it or whatever. I'm talking like I wanted Wonder Bread. I wanted Lando Lakes butter and not even like, like whatever's below like imitation cheese, like the crap, like (laughs) that's what I wanted. I, I, that's what I wanted. And I had this intense craving for it. And I'm like, I'm like, I need to make this. I don't have any of the ingredients, but I need this grilled cheese and I need it now. And I think a lot of times we, we go through that where we have like some sort of craving and we think, you know, we're, we just, we either go for it or we beat ourselves up over it all day. There's no, like, there's no actual processing it. You know, there's, it's just like, okay, I'm either going to eat that and not pay any attention to it. Or I'm just all day, I'm going to be like, Oh, I just want that grilled cheese. And then you're going to, you know, snack on all these things Yes. throughout the day. Yes. I know that feeling. Satisfy those cravings, but like, you know, but we don't actually address actual, you know, the reason behind it. So this one day I'm, I'm craving this and I just got this, you know, it was so intense and, um, I'm about to go grab my keys. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get this, you know, stuff to make this. And then I just stopped right before I was about to leave. And I just said, you know what? I just took a minute to ask myself, like, what's up with this craving? Like what, you know, like just kind of like process it. Like, where do I think this is coming from? And this particular day, it was a rainy Saturday afternoon. And what I realized is it gave me this feeling that I had when I was a kid, when I was like seven years old on rainy Saturday afternoons after my parents would get off work um, because they own their own business and they always work till noon on Saturdays. Uh, If it was raining out, my dad, um, my dad would make me one of those grilled cheeses and we, he would, we would lay down and we would watch, um, which is like horrible, but we would watch copious amounts of unsolved mysteries uh, (laughs) together, which as you know, as a seven-year-old or now as an adult being like, wow, you let your seven-year-old watch unsolved mysteries, but that's another, a whole nother issue. (laughs) But, um, I, I got brought back to that place of, you know, being a kid eating this grilled cheese with my dad, like, you know, this memory and my dad passed away in 2012. So this was 2015. This, so this was three years later. And that rainy Saturday afternoon, just, it wasn't the grilled cheese. It was, I missed my dad. It brought on this memory of a good, t- like a fun time when I was a kid that I had with my dad. Grilled cheese just happened to be involved in it. Um, but at the end of the day, like it was, it was the memory. It was my dad that I missed that. That's what I was craving. You know, that's what I wanted. I wanted time with my dad and I wasn't, I I wasn't going to get that back. And so at, you know, after I realized that I was like, okay, there's a couple things that I can do. I can, you know, get the ingredients to make the grilled cheese. If I feel like that's going to like honor this memory and and do the best I could, 
also make the mood boosting grilled cheese and then, you know, you know, get the grass fed cheese and whatever. And, um, and put avocado and greens on it or something. I was like, or, you know, I could choose to honor my dad's memory in a different way or honor this feeling in a different way. And so, you know, I'm like, I wonder if Unsolved Mysteries is on anywhere online, which at the time it was on YouTube. Now, actually, you can find it on Netflix. Um, Side note, it's a horrible show as an adult. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that, you know, I think that's the point of this whole thing is, I just took a moment to stop. And even though I'm the food mood girl and I've been doing this, it doesn't mean that I don't have emotions. It doesn't mean that I don't have feelings. It doesn't mean that I've learned how to cope with them. Um, sometimes they hit me too. You know, they hit me and I'm like, what is it? But I think the difference is I've learned to process them and decide, am I going to feel this emotion? Am I going to, you know, feel it? And you know, grieve my dad, but then also honor this memory in whatever way. Am I going to eat the thing? Because eating the thing is fine too. Like that's fine. As long as you're aware of it and you know, the, the, the reason behind it, I think it, it makes everything for yourself a lot better. So you're not just going into these emotions, mindless, trying to mask, you know, how you're feeling all the time, but instead you're actually feeling it, you're embracing it. And then that gives you information for next time. So next time, you have these, you know, an arsenal of tools. So now I can say, oh, if I'm ever feeling sad, you know, missing my dad, here's all these other things that I can do that I've done before that have, you know, like I watched Unsolved Mysteries that day and I was just like laughing. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe my dad let me watch this. (laughs) That's so funny. And I had this, like, I had just kind of this, like just this joyful afternoon that could have, I could have just went on, ate the grilled cheese, not thought anything about it but that emotion would still have been there, you know? And I think that's so smart because what you're really teaching people is to be intentional eaters and to not just mindlessly grab foods. And, and and that has, you know, you always hear about how Oprah, for example, has been on and off all of these diets all her years and all these years. And then when you hear an interview with her, that's basically what she talks about is that how she's been eating her feelings all of these years. So I think that it's really cool that you're teaching people how to get in touch with and and getting them to pause and think, why are you choosing the foods that you're choosing? Mm -hmm. Have you had any of the people that your book's been out a while now? Have you had any people that have been using this and have had like, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people? Oh yeah. I, I, um, I have a screenshot like, lists saved in my phone of, you know, people that will message me and, and share some of their insights. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is uh, the biggest feedback that I got was just kind of the relatability of people understanding that it's okay to feel their feelings, you know, it's, so it's okay. And also giving them, uh, an opportunity to explore the deeper side of that, you know, whereas a lot of times I think, especially, in the media and in advertising, we're bombarded with this diet or that diet or what we should be doing. And that just leads us feeling worse about ourselves oftentimes because we feel like, well, I can't amount to that, you know? And um, so I think the, what people are, what I've seen, what people are relating to, to most is the kind of the realness of it, you know, being able to talk about these things. I know I also talk a lot about, um, 
my own journey of being, I call myself medium size. Um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not thin. I'm not obese. I'm medium. And, and that's, you know, and how, how do you be a medium person in the health industry? You know, because it's an interesting dance that I play where, you know, because I'm not thin, people assume I'm not trying hard enough or because I'm not, I'm not, um, bigger people assume that I'm like, I feel like I've already worked on myself enough, but then I'm not trying hard enough. So it's like this weird dance. And I get a lot of, um, comments about my size, um, a lot. And that's another thing that trying to help people unpack is that your size, it it can obviously impact your health for sure. You know, um, but even people that are overweight, you know, there, there's usually like Oprah, for example, that has been on that, you know, the yo-yo trend. She's someone that came out and said, yes, I have, I've been emotionally eating because I think so many people in that state, that's what we're, you know, we're holding on to are these, are these emotions and these memories Mm -hmm. why we're doing that. Um, so I think trying to be a little bit more real and bring that to light, because I think it's important for people to know that your size and your body is going to change with you your entire life. Um, but that doesn't always equate to your true mental and physical health. This episode is sponsored by my coaching company, Power of Run. If this is the year you want to run your first or fastest half marathon, walk or run a 5K, or jump into the world of triathlon, check out my online coaching programs at www.crushingmygoals.com forward slash store. You deserve a coach, and no matter what level you are at, you can benefit by somebody who's in your corner, who's cheering for you and helping you get past those little things that trip us up and keep us from crushing our goals. You talk about in your book, you have a whole section about how to create a mood-friendly fridge, which I think is worth talking about right now because we're in the middle of farmer's market season where we have all kinds of healthy fruits and vegetables that we have access to that aren't as easy to get in the winter months, maybe, at least, at least where I live. Can you talk about what is it? What's a mood friendly fridge and how do we do that? Cause my refrigerator is a disaster. <laughs> well, you won't want to see mine right now either. Actually, I need to definitely clean mine out. Um, yeah, I think that one of a couple things, you know, is to stock it in a way that you're going to eat. And so what I mean by this is one of the biggest misconceptions with healthy eating is people are always like, oh, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. And in reality, you are what you chop and you are what you cook, you know, because that's, that's where health starts is when you, you know, and most of us don't want to chop vegetables. The, what, you know, what stops us from eating healthy is we're like, oh, like, I don't want to cut an onion. I don't want to start crying right now. Like, you know, yeah. you just kind of feel um, like just, you feel lazy, even though you're not, most people just feel like, Oh, I don't want, you know, I just don't want to do that. such an extra step. It seems like such an extra step. Um, so with that said, 
I'm not, I'm someone that I'm not opposed to buying pre-chopped vegetables. Like, I think that if that's what's going to work for you, then you need to do that. You know, I, I, I love to cook. So I obviously chop my own vegetables, but there have been some days where I just know if it's a busy week, I'm like, you know, by the time Friday gets here, it's been so busy. I don't want to, I'm working on a cookbook. I don't want to chop another vegetable, you know? Um, and so I think that's one, that's important to know. I also think that, you know, buying less more often is also key to this because so many of us go to the store and we have all these high expectations. We're like, oh, I'm grocery shopping for the week. I'm going to get all these fruits and vegetables and all this stuff. And you like pack it, you know, pack your card $150 later, you know, you're like, oh, I have all of this stuff. And then two days into it, you're like, I don't want to cook anything. (laughs) You know, and then you go through that spiral of, well, I didn't cook anything, so I'm just not. And then you end up wasting a lot. So I think with, especially with farmer's markets, you know, there's usually several days a week in different areas of, you know, depending on where you live, um, or even once a week and then supplement with going to the grocery store. I think kind of um, getting a sense of that can help a lot. And I also find that that's an interesting way to... um, to really tap into food and mood because sometimes we will plan like a whole week and we'll say, Oh, this is what I'm going to have every day. But you get to that certain day where your body doesn't want that, you know, like whatever you plan for it, because you can't plan for how you're going to feel, you know? And so I, I like to be open to that as well. Whereas if you say, Oh yeah, you know what? Tonight I'm really feeling fajitas and you know, I want these colorful veggies with it. Then you can, um, you know, you can get that because that's something your body needs there. So I think, um, those are a couple, a couple things. Um, and then, you know, making sure that you have on hand, uh, I like to set up kind of mood boosting stations in my pantry and in my fridge. So I have in the book, I have, I break everything down by mood and put what foods help with that mood. And so, because I kind of know, then I have these little stations of kind of grab and go things. Like, um, just yesterday I knew that I was going to be traveling this week, um, starting tomorrow. So I didn't want to buy a ton of fresh produce. So instead I did buy like a container of, um, fresh fruit already like chopped up Mm -hmm. because I knew that's, was going to be the best thing for where I was at. Like I didn't have more, I didn't buy a whole pineapple to cut and do because I just knew my lifestyle this week, it was going to be a little bit different. And so I had, I made sure to set some things that would last me the days that I was going to be here based on, you know, how I may be feeling. And so setting up those things as well. And I have one in my pantry too, where I kind of go through all of the, the cravings as well. Like if you want something sweet, salty, crunchy, creamy, or a drink, like I have it set up. So that way, if I'm feeling a certain way and I'm like, Oh, I want something chocolatey. It's like, okay, I have things here that are healthy, that are kind of grab and go that I can have to satisfy that. I think one thing that I forgot to ask you was, can you give us an example or two of a type of food that we might be craving that would correspond to a certain kind of a mood? So like, um, if you're, I know you have a section on, if you're hangry, these are some of the foods you might like, or if you're sad, these are some of the foods that your body might be wanting. Can you just give a few quick examples? Yeah. So for example, if you're, um, if you're feeling sad, you, you know, what, what your body really wants to do is feel happy. That's the ultimate goal. So you want, 
um, your body really is looking for the neurotransmitters that will help you feel happy. So you want um, uh, like serotonin, for example. So you may find yourself, like I said earlier, wanting something like carbs or sugar, like pizza or cookies, because you get that quick fix, but it's not going to sustain you long term. What you, what your body really wants are things that help your body process those neurotransmitters, um, like serotonin. So for example, magnesium, um, would be something, would be a nutrient that you want. Um, and you can find magnesium in things like raw cacao or broccoli, um, you know, you also want healthy fats, uh, as well, whenever you are feeling sad, um, and healthy fats can help boost your brain function and, uh, also promote new cell growth, which can obviously help you, uh, feel happier. So something like avocado or, um, uh, or like nuts, um, like almonds or things like that. So, that's kind of, and that's how I set up the book too. So you can kind of see, okay, well, what, what does my body need when I'm feeling like that? What are the nutrients? And then what nutrients have those foods in them so that you can kind of set that up for yourself. I think this sounds just the way the book is set up also just seems like such a great book for young adults who are away from home for the first time, who maybe aren't like when you go to college and you're having trouble making that transition and you're not coping as well. So that you can start to understand what all those, just how it all is related and how you can start to understand how to make better food choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I, I'm so excited about your book. I can't wait to dig in and start making, making some of the recipes. I just think that the concept is just so new, refreshing, so different So you're an author and a blogger and a speaker. What made you want to share your experiences and this knowledge with people? How did you get started along this path? Um, so I, like I said, I've been doing this literally over half my life. Uh, after I, um, after I was hospitalized and started getting help, you know, uh, by the time I was in ninth grade, I started teaching stress management workshops at student council conferences. And then I just learned this the other day because I was giving a lecture at uh, this women's conference and an old teacher from high school was the one that uh, invited me to speak. She was one of the coordinators and she invited me to speak. And she went back and I guess she went through yearbooks and different things and made up like a bio for me about some of my older accomplishments. And she said that I even taught, and I didn't, I didn't even remember this, but when I was a senior, I went to the Pennsylvania um, school board association because I was a school board rep on student council. And I went there and I did a workshop on why um, encouraging healthy eating in schools was good for kids or something like that. And I was like, I just, was shocked because I was like, I don't even remember doing that. Um, which is kind of cool, you know, so I've, I really have been doing this for a a very long time. And I think when I, uh, when I got, when I graduated from college and got my first, um, uh, like not my first job, but my probably second job out of college, uh, I was actually working for a wellness center, uh, doing their PR and when I was doing it, I was 
that I just had this moment of like, why am I doing this for someone else when I could be doing this for myself? Like I have a message that I want to share too. Like I saw the doctor that I was working with and how passionate he was about it. And I felt that same passion, but for this stuff. And I'm like, I've already been teaching on that. I taught stress management workshops. And when I was in ninth grade, like I've been doing this stuff. And so that's when I really decided, um, I went back to school and then I decided, you know what I want to, this is, you know, what I want to do. So I, I ended up quitting that job and just jumping in to this like full time. (laughs) And here we are. So it all worked out. (laughs) And do you have any tips or anything that you'd like to share about what is it like to write? You have several books, but what is it like to go through that process of writing a book? Yeah. So this is actually something that I'm really passionate about as well, um, is writing, writing and, you know, helping others, uh, use their voice as well. Like, you know, whether it's written or speaking to, to make their own impact. Um, I think that the biggest, the biggest thing is that, you know, I think the, I think the biggest thing with writing a book, if it's your first book, it's understanding that you may not get it right the first time. Like it may not be, I think people look at it as, oh, my first, my first book has to be the creme de la creme. It has to be my, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning book or or New York Times bestseller. And I think you kind of have to let go of all the external expectations and focus on really sharing your story and sharing, you know, what you, what you want to with the world. Um, And I think also if it's something you want to do, you really have to think of it as a business. Uh, That's one thing that people won't tell you, but in order to, you know, I've written several books and it, you have to think of it like a business, you know, you have to think of it um, as far as, you know, I feel like my books are their own brand of like, publicity and marketing and, um, sales and creation and, you know, from layout to editing, all of that stuff. And I've done it all as well. I've done self-publishing. I've done, um, my last book was with an independent press. And then this book, I have an agent and it's with a top five. And so, in all of them, you still have to look at it as a business, you know, like people think, oh, well, I'm only going to do it if I go traditional or because they'll help with this or, um, you know, or I don't want to do, or I only want to do self-publishing because I want to have control. All of that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. It's your work that you have to sell, get out there, um, and share with the world. And the last thing that I would say is it's there, it's never going to be a hundred percent perfect. You know, like people will, hold on to books for years because they're like, well, it has to be the most perfect thing. And, you know, even, even eat your feelings isn't, you know, you just, after it came out, it's been out for six months and you learn, you hear from people and you're like, Oh wow. Yeah. Or like just talking with people going and doing lectures. I'm like, I'm getting more content because people are sharing their stories and it's making me think about things differently. And it's developing new ideas for myself. And, and it's not to say that any of my old work is bad, but like you evolve as a right. And you should, you should want to evolve. Like, I feel like this book is the, the best creation that I've made to date with what I've wanted to do. 
but I also know that I'm, you know, I want to be a lifelong author, so I'm not done yet. Like, I, I don't have an idea for a next book, but I like listening to to the audiences, listening to what people are saying, getting that feedback, and then, yeah, developing something, um, you know, something else in the future. And I think that's an exciting part of the process, too, when you get out there and you get to start speaking and people are asking you to come talk because they value what you have to say. But I think that the other exciting piece of that is when you start getting feedback from people who are using your, what you're teaching and they're saying, yeah, this works. This is what my experience is. That just has to be so super rewarding for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's something that it's interesting because I, I used to coach individually when I first got started, but I, um, I stopped because I, I really just, I really liked speaking. I really liked writing. And so the interesting thing is you, I find that it's a little bit harder to see the, you know, like sometimes I wonder, I'm like, am I even making a difference? You know, I do think that I'm like, is this, is this even working or is it, or is it self-fulfilling? Like, did I do this for my own like external validation of, you know, what I'm doing or, you know, is it going to actually impact someone? And so, uh, and that's something that I've always like grasped, you know, like wrestled with and, and it, it's a lot harder to see the impact that, you know, a book may be making initially. Uh, and so I think, you know, when I do get those messages or things, that's why I screenshot them or have them Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's, everyone has their own, you know, footprint, impact footprint that they're going to make in the world. And, uh, you have to, you know, know where yours, where yours is and, and be okay with, um, you know, the path that you chose and know that, you know, one person is one person more than you had before, you know? And so the more that you can, and that's, that's where I think when people, um, like you just, you know, you're making a difference, but it may not be the way that maybe you thought. Uh, but just, again, I think what I try to do is just stand strong in, I believe in this message. And if it does help that one person, you know, that's great because that was my goal, you know? And I think it's, I feel like people are really finally starting to just maybe just beginning, but starting to get that message that food is medicine and what we choose to eat really does affect how we perform physically and also how, how we just feel in general. So I think this is such a great tool for people who want to explore that further. Yeah. I'm hoping, I think the food and mood, you know, I've, I've been doing this, you know, since 2009, um, which is kind of wild. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping, you know, there's been more like just today I saw, uh, this cafe that opened in the Philippines called, uh, bipolar. And it's all about like the chef creates, like you can fill out this little chart of how you want to feel at the end of your dish. And he uses foods that he thinks will help with your mood based on basically like my book, like, wow. And I, I really hope that this is the way of the future because I, I think it will free people up so much from, uh, you know, feeling like feeling bad about themselves a lot. You know, that's what, 
the diet industry can do and uh, if people can focus on how they feel and, you know, from a mental and physical standpoint and kind of quit the comparison cycles or feeling like, you know, you have to have six pack abs to mean anything in life. You know, I think the more that we can go in this direction, uh, I think people will, you know, I think society as a whole will be, you know, a lot better handled to equip their emotions and, you know, the things that we're dealing with and, and everything like that. So it's cool to see, like when I saw that this morning, I literally, right. That's why I was like a minute late because I was watching this video. Um, I, I was really inspired by that. Yeah, I can see it. You're going to have restaurants eventually, a whole, whole restaurants all over the country. That would be so fun, wouldn't it? Be awesome. <laughs> okay. So two final questions. Um, one, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you, any final parting words and two, how can people find you? Uh, final parting words. No, I think we covered a lot. This was really fun. I loved all of, um, your questions. So this was really great. Uh, and people can find me on foodmoodgirl.com. I'm very big on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I tend to favor, uh, and my handle, you can find it on foodmoodgirl.com, but it's Lindsay Smith, H H C. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on there and I always love connecting with people. Awesome. Well, it was so fun to talk to you and thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge today. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign Power of Run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week, and I will catch you next Tuesday.